know, pastors like me, we, we have both the privilege and the responsibility to deal with what's real. You know, pastors like me should not spend too much time in abstract theories and, and crazy concepts. Pastors should not live in an ivory tower. No, pastors like me need to deal with concrete realities that, that we are to live on the street as we walk through life with you and with others, experiencing the human condition in the various ways in which we do. And one of the, one of the realities that we want to wrap our minds and our hearts around this morning is the reality of suffering. You know suffering is real. And for some, that may seem like a very obvious statement, an obvious point for me to make, that suffering is real, but not everyone believes that suffering is real. Uh, there was a movement started by a woman named Mary Baker Eddy, a movement known as Christian Science. And when she kind of kicked off this movement that still has roots even in our city today, it, she posited that suffering, evil, and even death itself was but an illusion. You know, I like to think of Christian science a lot like to be a lot like grape nuts, right? You open a bag of grape nuts, you're not going to find grape and grapes, nor are you going to find nuts. This is something different altogether. Well, Christian science is a lot like that. It's neither Christian and it's neither science. We, we know that suffering is real. Every sober-minded person on the planet, and especially every follower of Jesus agrees with the fact and have experienced themselves to some degree that suffering is real. After all, we as Christians, we, we follow a Savior who suffered himself. We worship Christ the Lord who lived a life marked and characterized by suffering. You know, 2020 has not taught us anything new on this front. This year is not unique. Generations prior to ours have suffered in similar ways to the way in which we suffer today. And, and in some cases, generations prior to ours have suffered in more egregious ways than what we may be collectively experiencing in this moment. But, but 2020 has amplified the reality of suffering. 2020 has awakened people's eyes to its reality, has called attention to it, has amplified it in a myriad of ways. That's as this year has brought suffering to bear on our mental and our emotional and our spiritual and even our physical health. 2020 has amplified this dynamic. And one of the things I love about the scriptures is that the scriptures were written in the real world. The scriptures are written by people who are following Jesus and experiencing the human condition, just like we all experience, that the Bible wasn't written detached from reality in an ivory tower. The Bible is an earthy book written by flesh and blood human beings, inspired by the Holy Spirit, designed and intended to address life in the real world. And so it meets us in the midst of our sufferings. It meets us in the midst of our struggles and our trials and our difficulties. It makes the Bible a beautiful, beautiful book for our souls. And the Apostle Peter would take up this topic, and so we've been journeying through 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 4, find your way to the passage that was read for us a moment ago. As we've been journeying through this little letter over the past couple of months, we know that, that Peter addresses the reality of suffering no less than 21 times. And he takes up this topic again in verses 12 through 19, because suffering is real. But not only is suffering real, suffering is complex. 
It's complex in the sense that it shows up in our lives in a myriad of ways. We experience all types of suffering. You know, we can cut our finger while chopping vegetables for dinner. We can slip in the shower and break our hip. We can contract the flu. We could contract COVID. We could contract cancer. We can suffer the the fracture of friendships and relationships. We can suffer the loss of loved ones. We can suffer abuse at the hands of, of sinners in myriad of ways. There, is all, there are all types of suffering that we may experience because suffering is complex and suffering is multifaceted. But not only is it real and not only is it complex, we can also say that suffering doesn't really discriminate. Jesus would tell us in the gospel that the rain falls on the just and the unjust affirming the fact that every person on the planet will suffer. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, suffering will come into your life at some point in time. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are young or old, whether you are male or female, whether you are religious or irreligious, suffering comes upon us all. It does not discriminate in that sort of way. And because of that, much of the suffering that people experience and and walk through as they journey through this life is that it can be perplexing. It can cause us to scratch our heads and we want to ask questions. You know, it's, it's perplexing when a child is stricken with leukemia. It's perplexing when a woman suffers a miscarriage. It causes our hearts to ache and our minds to wonder, God, why would you allow something like this to happen? We begin to ask that question why over and over and over again. The question of why is probably the most frequently asked question in the history of human existence. Suffering is real. Suffering is complex. Suffering does not discriminate. And this idea that, that suffering is complex and it is, is dumbfounding, it, it should really... St- help me as a pastor address this type of thing because what I shouldn't do is I shouldn't stand before you this morning taking up the topic of suffering and and then try to explain it away. I think it would be inappropriate for me in this moment to try to explain away suffering or to dismiss it. No, pastors like me need to be careful that we don't try to unravel each and every entangled thread of suffering that, ex- that is experienced in the human heart. Because oftentimes when guys like me stand up and we try to entangle all of those threads, trying to explain every ounce and make sense of every ounce of suffering a person may experience, when we try to untangle that thread, usually what happens is we just tighten knots. We just tighten knots that are growing in people's hearts towards the grace and the goodness and the love and the power and the sovereignty of our God. And so I don't feel the pressure, and I hope it's an encouragement to you, as, and I hope you don't feel the pressure as you think about this topic and as you journey through this life to feel like you have to account with some reason or some rational explanation or even a theological explanation for every particular ounce of suffering that may fall upon a person. If we spend our time trying to untangle those threads, we're just going to tighten many knots. And pastors like me have made that mistake over the years in an effort to serve people who are suffering. No, what we want to do is we want to approach this topic in a way that provides perspective. 
What a God like me can do and what, what people like you can do as you are serving people who are suffering is that you can provide perspective. A perspective that isn't filled out with explanations about why certain things have gone down, but perspective about who God is and about what God has done for us when he sent Jesus to live the life that we could not live and to suffer and die on the cross. The gospel that declares that Jesus rose from the grave victorious so that we can say or we can cultivate the perspective that our sufferings will not ultimately defeat us. So we offer perspective and we instill hope that can stabilize those who are suffering. That's what pastors should do. And quite frankly, that's what peers should do. As we love each other and as we serve each other and as we befriend each other, journeying through the world that is and route to the world that is to come. This was Peter's approach. Peter writes this letter as a pastor and he writes this letter as a peer. He writes these words in love for the people he is writing to. You see this right off the bat in verse 12 when he says, dear friends. And he refers to them in that affectionate kind of way, dear friends. Some of your translations may have that phrase translated beloved. And Peter is is affirming the fact that these Christians who were suffering, that they were loved, that they are beloved. This is a phrase that Peter would use eight times in First and Second Peter in his writings. And if you jump over to Second Peter chapter one, verse 17, he reminds us that this description, beloved, is exactly how God the Father referred to Jesus when Jesus was being baptized. At the start of his ministry, Jesus is brought into the water, but then he's raised up out of the water, and we are told that a voice from heaven spoke, and that voice said, "This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased." And Jesus designated him beloved. And one of the most wonderful aspects about being a Christian is that when you put your faith in Jesus, that same declaration, that same designation now applies to you. So that when you put your faith in Christ, you become beloved. You become a son and daughter of God. You become a part of his family. And the love God has for his family is rich. It's unlike anything else. So we love introducing people to Jesus and we love to see people put their faith in Jesus. So as they do, they become part of the beloved. They become part of God's family, part of God's people. And so if we're going to talk about suffering in any way, shape or form, we need to start there, right? We need to start by reminding one another that we are loved by God that in Christ we belong to the beloved. We want to hold that in our minds and in our hearts anytime we talk about suffering. This is where Peter begins. He begins by saying, dear friends, beloved. And the reason why we want to start there is because you know that suffering can knock you off balance. You know that suffering can cause you to question the fact that God loves you. It can cause you to question your relationship with God whether or not he is for you. Suffering can make you think that God is actually against you at times. And so when we step into these waters, we want to declare, beloved, dear friends, this is what Peter's reminding us of. Now, being God's beloved, being God's beloved didn't give Jesus a pass on suffering. It didn't give Jesus a pass on suffering, but what it did do, 
being God's beloved, enabled Jesus to pass through suffering faithfully. He didn't get a pass on suffering, but he passed through it faithfully. He maintained trust in the Father each and every moment in which he suffered. See, although Jesus suffered, he wasn't shunned by God. And Christian, although you may suffer in this world, you are not shunned by God. Being loved by God doesn't give us a pass around suffering. Being loved by God enables us to pass through suffering faithfully so that we don't bail out on Jesus when life gets hard. We press into Jesus as life gets hard. Now, because suffering is complex, there's not a single passage that can deal with it adequately. There's not a single passage of Scripture that you can take and and address suffering and all of its complexity and all of its nuance. And, And so I'm not here to do that necessarily this morning and This is why at the turn of the year in 2021, our next kind of series in our Gospel Clarity Study activities, our Gospel Clarity Study series, we're going to host another uh, evening where we look at the gospel and suffering and we take more of a panoramic picture, walking through the Bible, looking at suffering from different vantage points and perspectives and and wrapping our hearts around how the gospel meets us in the midst of all of that. That's coming in 2021. But what we want to do here is we want to recognize that this passage addresses a particular kind of suffering. It deals with a specific form of suffering. And if you're looking at the words that were read for us a moment ago, this type of suffering is suffering that comes as a result of our faith in Jesus. It's suffering that might come into your life because you follow Christ. Because you believe what you believe about Jesus. This is stuff that can be kicked up in your life because of your relationship with Christ. So it's a very specific type of suffering being raised. And as you read the passage, there's one question that kind of comes out that I want to ask you this morning and encourage you to meditate upon as we look at the text. Is that when suffering comes, when suffering comes as a result of your faith in Christ, will you welcome it or will you walk away from it? Will you welcome it or walk away from it? I think this is the question that's coming out of this passage. If you look at verse 12, we'll read it again. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. You see, this type of suffering isn't like cancer. This type of suffering isn't like COVID-19. This type of suffering isn't like freak accidents, like having a car wreck. This type of suffering can actually be avoided. You can avoid this kind of suffering as you journey through the world that is. You can choose not to follow Jesus and avoid this kind of suffering. You can choose to keep your mouth closed and never share the gospel with anyone and avoid this kind of suffering. You can choose to 
to curb the ethics of the kingdom of God as they are laid out in the gospels and echoed throughout the scriptures. You can kind of curb those ethics and, and change them and adjust them to better appeal to the masses and to make life more comfortable with those around you and, and avoid this kind of suffering. You can say, you can speak out of both sides of your mouths. You can say and at the same time, Jesus is Lord, and while at the end, in the very next breath, Caesar is Lord. You could say that and avoid this kind of suffering. You can agree with the instincts of your heart apart from Jesus that you'd prefer for your will to be done rather than God's will to be done. You can avoid this kind of suffering by moving in that direction. So avoiding the type of suffering that Peter's referring to here is possible, but I believe it'd be problematic. I believe it'd be problematic because if we avoided this type of suffering, we may find ourselves pulling up short of the finish line. We might find ourselves not marked out by the endurance and the perseverance that characterizes the life of faith, that is to characterize the life of following Jesus. And this is where Peter goes next in verse 16 or 17, he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. He's reminding us that endurance and faith is par for the Christian course. course. That salvation comes to every person who not only puts their faith in Jesus, but continues to put their faith in Jesus. Salvation comes to those who walk by faith in relationship with Christ, not just in one moment, but in many moments over the course of a lifetime. And really what Peter is saying here is he's extending and in a different way, he's saying some things that Jesus said when he walked with Jesus. You take Mark chapter 13, verse 13, for example. Jesus said, you will be hated by everyone because of my name, because of your relationship with me, because you are bear the mark Christian. Now, that's what Peter is pointing out here. And remember, Christian means little Christ. And he's saying, you guys are suffering because you have taken on the name of Jesus. You are no longer taking on the name of Caesar from the Roman government. You are now saying, Jesus is Lord. This is who you are. And because of that identity, because of who you are in relationship to Christ, this is why you're, according to Jesus, this is why you'll be hated. According to Peter, this is why you're suffering. And then he goes on, but the one who endures, the one who perseveres, the one who keeps walking by faith and, and doesn't walk away from suffering or walk away from Jesus, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I believe that the love God has for his people enables us to endure. That when you know that you are loved like you are by God in Christ, that will shore up strength to continue to exercise faith even when things get hard. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, remember what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So God's love, the gospel of grace, enables us to endure all things, especially difficult things as we walk 
by faith in Jesus, in the world that is, moving towards the world that is to come. Now, it's possible to walk away from that. But to walk away from that type of suffering is to walk away from Jesus himself. For we know that Jesus is the gate, that he is the door through which we walk to get to God, to have eternal life. And so we walk away from a difficult path or a difficult road. We walk away from suffering that may come as a result of our relationship with Jesus. It's not just the suffering that we're walking away from. It's Jesus that we're walking away from. And that is possible to do, but it'd be problematic if you do. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we get to a point in our lives where we're not walking away from suffering as a result of our faith in Jesus, but we're actually welcoming it? And this is what I want to help you think about this morning as we think about three ways to, to welcome this type of suffering. First thing Peter says to us, he says, I want you to expect it. He says we can welcome it by expecting suffering. You know, this type of suffering is coming into our lives whether we want it or not. This type of suffering is the cousin Eddie of Christianity. It's the one that's just going to show up at the holidays whether he was invited or not. He's coming. And we have to make space for him in our lives. We have to make space for him in our experience. After all, we do follow Jesus. And Jesus carried the label, the suffering servant, all the days of his life. And as we identify with him and we embody Jesus' reality in our day-to-day lives, there are, there's a sense in which you and I become suffering servants as well. That we will suffer in our efforts to serve Jesus and to serve others in light of the kingdom of God. Years ago, when Kim and I first got married, uh, we were living in New Orleans and we met, a, we met a friend, a guy named Matt. And Matt took to us and he started visiting us on a daily basis. He wouldn't call us uh, before he showed up. He wouldn't give us a heads up. He'd just appear at our, at our door and, and uh, we'd think we'd have a quiet, low-key evening together. And then we'd hear a knock on the door and we'd open up and there he'd be. Every time we turned around, Matt was there. Soon we just expected him to be there. And when he wasn't there, that's when we were surprised, right? So when we would make our meal and get ready to eat at night, we wouldn't just make food for two. We'd make food for three, assuming that he was going to show up. Now, over time, his uninvited yet welcomed presence, it taught us a lot. Over time, his uninvited yet welcomed presence taught us a lot about what it means to love someone what it means to show hospitality, what it means to be there for someone who needed people to be there for him. And over time, his uninvited yet welcomed presence began to transform us. It began to change us. In some ways, it began to make Kim and I a little more like Jesus, a little more like Christ. And so one of the things Peter is telling us to do, if you're going to welcome suffering into your life, it doesn't mean you invite it in the sense that you go running after it. It means you go after Jesus Press into your relationship with Jesus, and then as suffering comes, because it's coming whether you like it or not, welcome it. Welcome it into your life and realize the difference that suffering could make in your heart and in your mind and in your relationship with Christ. Which brings us to the second dynamic. Not only do we want to expect suffering, choosing to welcome it rather than inviting it, we we want to embrace what God does through suffering. We want to embrace all that God can do in our lives through the suffering that has shown up at our door, the suffering that has popped up into our life, the suffering that we didn't invite because we don't want it, but the suffering that's coming anyways. And so we're welcoming it. And now we want to embrace what God can do through suffering. And Peter reminds us in this passage that God's got us. 
that when this type of suffering pops up in your life, when it shows up on your front door, God's got you. There's a reference here to these, these fiery, this fiery ordeal that comes among Christians to test them. And that word test is a powerful word reminding us, look, that this, this suffering that has shown up, that perhaps the enemy, perhaps the world intends for, intends for it to ruin us. God's got us in the midst of that, and he's not going to allow it to ruin us. He's actually going to let it refine us. That God's got us, and he's going to produce good through the suffering that we experience. The word test, it might be best illustrated if you were ever to join a CrossFit gym. Now, that's inviting suffering into your life, right? You go and you start do CrossFit, you're inviting suffering. And, and, you know, if that's your style, feel free to do that. Suffer as you will. But you're inviting suffering if you do CrossFit. But if you show up at CrossFit, one of the things about CrossFit is that the coaches and the trainers who help people grow through that exercise is that they believe people can do far more than what they think they can do. They believe there's a lot more inside the human body and a lot more inside a human person than a person may realize in a given moment. Well, this idea of how God may use this type of suffering to test us, to refine us, it's this idea that God may draw more out of us that we never knew was there. Draw more faith out of us, draw more hope out of us, draw more of an awareness of God's presence in our lives than perhaps we didn't even realize before the suffering came. This is what testing and refining is all about. It is God drawing out of us what he has put within us when he redeemed us and rescued us by his grace. And so the testing here is for our good. And one of the things that is drawn out of us is the assurance of faith. It's incredible how when a person experiences suffering as a result of Jesus, and they are not walking away from it, but they're welcoming it, and they are being enabled by God to, to pass through it, it's amazing how affirming that is to one's faith. It can bring an, an alien sense of peace to the soul as we realize, no, I, I do believe in Jesus. I really do believe the gospel. It wasn't just something I embraced because mom and dad told me to when I was a kid. It, it is my faith. And, and the reason why I'm learning that and I'm being affirmed in that is because the suffering is being used to draw it out of me. That I'm in a situation where God is pulling out of me what he put into me when I was younger. He's pulling out of me what he put into me when I first became a Christian. And so this testing, it, it affirms and refines kind of the genuineness of a person's faith. So God's got us in the midst of this. But not only does he got us, he's for us in the midst of this. Believing that God is for us in the midst of our suffering, he goes on to talk about how we should rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Christ. And then he goes on to point out how we should rejoice even further with the revelation of glory that is to come. In other words, he's saying, in the midst of your suffering, remember that God is for you. He is not against you. He is for you in this moment. And on the other side of the cross, there's an empty tomb. On the other side of the cross, there is an empty tomb. On the other side of your suffering, there is glory. This is what Peter's, this is the perspective Peter has given to Christians in the first century. And it's one that God wants us to have in this moment as well. That on the, side of the other side of the cross, there is an empty tomb. Years ago, I had a friend and mentor named Dr. Robert Smith Jr. And, and Dr. Smith had a 
gut issue that required him to go on a certain diet. And so this diet required him to eat a particular kind of yogurt. Now, he wasn't a fan of yogurt. He never invited yogurt to be part of his routine of eating. And, and one day he uh, was prescribed a certain kind of yogurt. So he went to pick some up and he went to the counter and asked him about the yogurt. And he said, do you have something, you know, so, something sweet or, or fruity? And the lady behind the counter said, yeah, we, we have orange yogurt. And he said, okay, well, if I'm going to have to have yogurt, uh, I'll try the orange yogurt. And so she put a thing of orange yogurt before him. And he, he said, I'm going to try it before I buy it. Is that okay? She said, sure, go ahead. So he pulled it off the top and he took a spoon and he just kind of scraped a little bit off the top and put it on his tongue. Now, as he scraped a little bit off the top, put it on his tongue, he immediately just kind of recoiled. His face soured. He put the yogurt down. He pushed it back, said, that's terrible. I thought you said this was orange yogurt. That tastes so bitter. I didn't taste any fruit in that. And, and the lady just kind of looked over on the counter and saw it there and, and said, well, the fruit's at the bottom of the cup. You didn't go deep enough. And so Dr. Smith then took his spoon and he plunged deeper into the yogurt and he got to the bottom of the cup and that's where the fruitness, that's where the sweetness was found. That's where what he desired was found. Well, there's a sense in which when we walk away from suffering rather than welcome it, welcoming it, we're walking away from it because we're not, going, we're not willing to go deep enough. We're not willing to press in, recognizing that there is an empty tomb on the other side of the cross. Not willing to recognize that there is glory on the other side of suffering. And so we walk away and we end up cutting ourselves short. And we miss out on the joy and the pleasure that God wants to instill within us as we walk with him through suffering. We miss out on what it means to rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Christ. How can we ever get there? Well, we're not going to get there if we walk away. We're only going to get there if we're willing to welcome the suffering that comes as a result of our faith in Jesus. God is for us, and every ounce of suffering we experience on this front, there is glory on the other side of it. And so we want to pass through, we want to pass deep, we don't want to pull back, we don't want to try to walk around. Because to do that is to sell yourself short. To do that is not to experience all that God would can and will do through the suffering you're enduring in a given moment. So God is for you in this. There was a woman by the name of Perpetua. She was an early Christian martyr. She uh, lost her life, I think, in about 204 A.D. And, and Perpetua was 22 years old. She was a mother. And when she was imprisoned because of her faith in Jesus, because she did not say Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, she was put in prison and she would nurse her newborn in prison. Her family were concerned about her. Her father tried to talk her out of uh, being, being killed. He wanted her to renounce her faith, but then she responded to her dad and she said this. She said, I cannot call myself by any other name than, but by the name Christian. She said, this is who I am. This is what I am about. And so she stuck it out, and she did not renounce her faith, and eventually she was taken from her jail cell, and she was fed to lions. And you can actually read her journal entries. She actually wrote a journal. She kept a journal while she was in prison. It's one of the earliest writings we have from a Christian female in the history of the church come from this woman. And on the day she was taken away to, to be fed to lions, she penned the words, today is the day of my coronation. Today is the day of glory. 
He's moving through suffering, believing there's glory on the other side. That was her perspective. That was her approach. God was for her, and Christian, God is for you. But not only is he for you, God is with you. I love the phrase that Peter mentions in the next verse where he talks about how the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That the Holy Spirit is resting upon you in the midst of your suffering. The Holy Spirit will draw near to you in the midst of your suffering, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're familiar with that story, back in the Old Testament, these three men refused to to denounce their faith. They wanted to worship God and God alone. And and that meant they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But when those who threw them into this fiery furnace peeked in to see how things were, you know, burning up, they, they noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't burning up. They were okay, but they also realized that there was more than three people in the furnace. They noticed a fourth person in the furnace as as Christ himself met them there and accompanied them in the fire, preserving them so that they could come out on the other side. This is the dynamic that Peter's reminding us of here, that the spirit of glory rests upon Christians who are suffering as a result of their faith. If you read testimonies of persecuted Christians around the world, you're going to hear this refrain over and over and over again, talking about how precious God is to them in the midst of their sufferings. I've read stories of Christians who were persecuted once they were delivered from their persecution and brought back to a more prosperous setting. I've read stories of how they are bearing witness to the fact that they look back on their days of persecution with fondness. And the reason they look back upon those times with fondness is because it was in those moments when the Spirit of God rested upon them in a way that was unique to their experience. In some ways, the Spirit of God rested upon them in a way that was unique in suffering that isn't necessarily the same when we are living in prosperity. So you have this affirmation here that God is with us in the midst of our suffering. Another reason why we want to welcome it, not walk away from it. That as fiery trials may burn around us, the Spirit of God burns bright within us, comforting us, assuring us that we are loved drawing near to us in ways that we never dreamed possible. So we want to expect suffering. We want to embrace what God can do through suffering. But then lastly, we want to entrust ourselves to God in suffering. We want to entrust ourselves to God in the midst of our suffering. Now, when Peter writes these words, he senses that the temperature is soon to be turned up on the church. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 6, he referred to various trials that we must endure, and that's that multifaceted, complex form of suffering he's referring to there. But here he seems to be zeroing in on persecution, on the fiery ordeal. And as the flow of his writing kind of moves to this point, he's saying, look, it's like those various trials now have become a fiery ordeal. The temperature is going to rise on you, and when it does rise on you, it's going to be difficult for you, but hang in there. Endure, persevere, don't walk away from it, welcome it. And then he goes on. What would happen not long after Peter wrote these words in the summer of 64 AD, the city of Rome was set on fire and it burned for nine weeks. Now historians tell us that nobody, uh, that, that many people suspected that Nero himself burnt his own town, his own city down because he wanted to expand And he wanted to renew the city, and so he wanted to tear it down so he could build it back up. But everyone got mad because nobody wanted their city to burn, right? 
and it burned for nine weeks. All the people got mad and they began to show their anger towards Nero and towards the Roman Empire. And so so Nero had to find a scapegoat. And the easiest scapegoat during that time were Christians. Christians were a small minority that nobody cared about. Everybody looked over. Nobody was concerned with. And so he had a scapegoat with Christians. And so what he did was he managed to uh, pass the buck of blame towards them so that everybody was no, so that people were no longer mad at him. They became mad at Christians. And he blamed them for the fires that were set in Rome. And, and this ignited a fury of persecution against the church. He blamed Christians to the point where he took them and in order to appease people's wrath and people's anger, he put Christians on poles and he doused them in pitch and he set them on fire, lighting them up as torches throughout the city street. And then from that point forward, there were about 200 years of intense persecution where Christians suffered egregiously. They were fed to lions, they were burned at the stakes, they were thrown into the gladiatorial games for everyone's entertainment. They were persecuted tremendously for about 200 years. But all the while, what we find is that they entrusted themselves to God in the midst of it. They entrusted themselves to God in the midst of their suffering. They didn't walk away from it, they welcomed it. And you may wonder, well, how do we, how do we know that is true? Well, it's the reason why you and I are still here. You and I are here today because those Christians entrusted themselves to the faithful creator. You and I are here today is because the church wasn't beaten by the persecution of Rome. You and I are here today because men and women entrusted themselves to God in the face of their persecution, in the face of suffering. They did not walk away. They welcomed it and the gospel continued to move throughout the first century. It can continue to move around the world every century since. And you and I are here today because they entrusted themselves to God. And I want you to think, Christian, as as we move into the future, we don't know what may happen in the future. We don't know what life is going to look like for Christians, even on this soil as we move further and further into the future. But will it be said of a future generation that they are there because you and I entrusted ourselves to God no matter what came our way in this time? Let it be said by a future generation, we're here because they remained faithful. We're here because they didn't give up. We're here because they continued to believe and to trust and to walk by faith. We're here because of them. Let it be said of a future generation, by a future generation, that their faith is present because ours were present right now. This was an encouraging thing for Peter to write because as you know, Peter, there was a time in Peter's life when he walked away from this kind of suffering. If you remember the moment Jesus was arrested and taken from the disciples, not long after that, the disciples kind of scattered, Peter among them. And there was a little servant girl walked up to him and said, hey, weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter knew that if he said yes, that would bring suffering into his life. He knew that they may kill him if he identified with Jesus. And so he said to the little girl, no, I am not one of his disciples. Another person came up to him, asked him the same question. Peter denied it again. Another person came, asked the same question. He denied it a third time. In that moment, Peter walked away from suffering, denying Jesus. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that after that third time, Peter then went and he wept bitterly. 
He began to suffer because of his sin. He felt so ashamed of denying the one who loved him so well for the past three and a half years. He just went and wept bitterly, ashamed of what had happened. You know, but there came a moment after Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected. The faithful Jesus didn't give up on Peter and he went to Peter and he asked Peter to to breakfast. And the two of them sat down over a fire and they ate some fish in the early mornings and one early morning. And and Jesus began to remind him that he loved him. Jesus reminded him that he was for him. Jesus encouraged Peter saying, look, I I want you to, to keep following me. I want you to tend my sheep and take care of people. I want you to be with me because I am still here with you. And that changed everything for Peter. So that from that point forward, after he was experienced that grace, he began to live his life serving Jesus to the point when at the end of his days, Peter himself faced a fiery ordeal. And church history tells us that Peter reached a point when Rome killed him because of his identification with Jesus. They took Peter, they wanted to put him on a cross, but Peter felt like a cross was not worthy of him because that was too much like Jesus. So he said, look, I'm not worthy to die exactly like Jesus died. And and so they took Peter's cross and they flipped it upside down and Peter suffered and died that way. And in that moment, he didn't walk away. In that moment, he welcomed that suffering that came as a result of his faith in Jesus. And because he and because so many have done similar things, you and I sit in this room today worshiping Jesus. And may it be said by a future generation, we're here because they entrusted themselves to God. We're here because they didn't walk away from suffering. They welcomed it and it's changing everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you give us grace? to process this passage in a way that would be beneficial to us and beneficial to those around us. God, I pray that you would give us grace to welcome the kind of suffering that comes as a result of our faith in Jesus. Give us grace not to walk away from it. Would you hold us faithfully in your grip? God, in those moments when we slip up and mess up and fall back and take a step back, God, would you press in and pursue us? Would you not give up on us? Would you come after us the same way Jesus went after Peter? And Jesus, would you shore up our faith, recognizing that your love for us enables us to pass through suffering faithfully. That is our desire. That is our hope. And we pray that by your grace, you would bring that about in Jesus' name. Amen.